and you don't recall saying that you'll cut off Dave Springer's nuts and use them as bookends. And use them as bookends? No, sir. I don't recall saying that. I don't think I've ever said anything like that. Who doesn't need testicle bookends? I mean, I've never heard of them, but they might be cool. Uh, nonetheless, a very combative day on the stand of the Emergencies Act on uh, Monday. That was uh, former Chief Slowly denying that he threatened to cut off the said nuts of a colleague, but did admit that during tense meetings, he did say at one time he'd crush anyone who undermined his police response. He is now done on the stand, and others from the protest side are now coming up. I want to bring in Tom Korski, who is the managing editor over at Black Locks Reporter. Do you have a testicle book, uh, Stan? Uh, I love the Napoleonic <laughs> language of crush them. I saw them. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you they make of run a police department. They, yeah. they, couldn't, they couldn't enforce a parking bylaw. Crush them. That's true. true. Yeah, he was very combative in his um, other side, like when he was getting um, um, cross-examined. You know, he he was very defensive, um, very combative, and and now he's done. I mean, the takeaway for me, obviously, is that they just didn't plan anything. They didn't plan anything. They they, had so much infighting. There's actually almost going to have to be an inquiry into policing across this country after this thing. You know who comes shining through, though, ironically, is the Ontario Provincial Police. They were... The uh, Johnny on the spot in terms of intelligence and the director of their intelligence bureau, superintendent named Patrick Morris, wrote in confidential emails disclosed through the commission and testified to the same effect. There were no guns. The uh, convoy was shockingly, his word, shockingly peaceful. Furthermore, Superintendent Morris intelligence guy said he was uneasy with the depiction by media and certain politicians of the Freedom Convoy as an extremist movement. Mm. It's not an extremist movement, he repeated over and over and expresses bafflement and unease with that depiction by people who apparently had a vested interest in depicting this as a Nazi insurrection. It just wasn't. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because you've got uh, Mr. Baber, is it James uh, Barber, uh, one of the lead, um, I guess, protesters. Who Chris this, Barber, Chris yeah. Chris Barber, sorry, and he'll uh, be asked. And, and that's what we're going to see this week are these protesters being asked about the Confederate flag, the Nazi flag, why they support this or that. Meanwhile, um, the, I mean, look, you have enough reports today that certainly paint a theme on the intelligence of this thing and, and that it was very much, and I think it was interesting about the disinformation um, that we were talking about in the inquiry on Monday, where you had all this extremist movement kind of talk, all this disinformation, um, and, and a lot of confusion was caused by it. Cabinet aides, political aides in uh, text messages read into the record by the trucker's lawyer. Uh, this is not good. Uh, this was... Uh, cynical and contrived, and before, dated January 24th, before the truckers ever hit town, and in it, the Director of Communications for the Minister of Public Safety, Mendicino, writes a colleague in the Prime Minister's office about, wouldn't it be helpful if we could push a media narrative depicting these people as crazy, but we want to time this right, and our problem is we need something to back it up, quote-unquote. Well, there were subsequent media stories of about, for instance, the truckers involved in attempted rape or arson, which were simply false. They were incorrect. It was 100% false news. Cabinet wanted a January 6th moment. I know it's uncomfortable to say that. They did, Alex. Mm -hmm. All the evidence points that way. They wanted a January 6th moment so 
they could cast themselves as the defenders of democracy instead of just a kind of a tired organization that came in with vaccine mandates that are controversial and subject to judicial challenge by the Civil Liberties Association. That's what they wanted to avoid. They wanted black hat, white hat, and they were going to be the heroes. And it just didn't work out that way, did it? But they tried. I mean, you had the prime minister out there calling um, at, the, at the point where if he didn't pour the gasoline, I think things might have cooled off. But then he's talking about these people with unacceptable views, which just exacerbated the already unmanageable. But it's interesting when you see some of the reporting that you guys have picked up from the a lot of documents that have been tabled at this uh, particular hearing um, is just how hard guys like Marco Mendicino were working to, to make sure that um, they got what they wanted, whether it was talking to Brenda Lucky, which I don't think he's supposed to be talking to her that much. I mean, there was a lot of conversations going on with top officials in the Trudeau government and Brenda Lucky, which blurs the lines of what a government should be talking about with police. Very persistent, uh, according to minutes of a, a, a of remarks by Commissioner Lucky in a, a police teleconference. My minister, very persistent. He, uh, Public Safety Minister Mendocino was jabbering about something on the Freedom Convoy. Uh, so said the Commissioner of the RCMP. Alex, you and I have said before, there's this mythology that cabinets don't tell the RCMP what to do. I, I, I find it touching that people believe that. It is demonstrably false. Uh, read the Hughes Commission report going back to pepper spray, uh, the Peppergate of the Cretchen era, where Cretchen set down a political aide to lead a superintendent of the RCMP around by his mitten strings on how to deal with political protesters. So I, I understand that people have this myth. Least of all, cabinet always perpetuate. We would, uh, as Nixon used to say, we would never tell the Mounties what to do because that would be wrong, Alex. <laughs> but yeah. it happens every day. Well, I know, but Marco Mendocino says it did not happen, so we will believe him. I mean, honestly, it's just he didn't do anything. He's not talking to Bill Blair's out there yesterday saying, I never talked to Brent Loggia. I don't know what's going on. And so it's the deny, deny, deny. And then you've got the prime minister who we've certainly seen through several documents by now. I mean, they were prepared. They were talking about this emergency power before it even really kind of came to a head. Um, so it's almost like they wanted to, to use this. They just need to find the reason to pull it. We see that through cabinet minutes, which you almost never get in real time. Uh, they, uh, Prime Minister raised this uh, days, days before it was announced, when we know through Public Safety Department reports, there was really nothing going on. Uh, as early as February 10th, the Prime Minister raises it in a cabinet meeting where, ironically, the Department of Public Safety says, you should know, according to cabinet minutes, you should know, they say, 95% of these truckers are getting ready to go home. It was the minus 30. Mm. Uh, yeah. I agree it doesn't look good, but remember the test before the Public Order Emergency Commission, there's only one question. Did Cabinet meet the bar in using the Emergencies Act as the only tool they had to deal with a national emergency, an upheaval, public disorder? That's the only question. Alex, they're not even close. Well, they're not. I guess it'll uh, really depend on how the judge, um, you know, pulls the information away. And uh, I think I think this week's going to be fascinating hearing from the protest side of this. And still, we haven't heard from Brenda Lucky, who's got some explaining to do, and certainly all the uh, high up cabinet ministers and the prime minister. Yeah, no. And who wants? <laughs> I, I, forgive me for saying this. I don't think they read the act before they invoked it. 
Because if they'd read the act, they would have noticed, you know, Clause 17, you have to testify under oath under threat of perjury about why you invoke the act. Yeah. Who volunteers for that if you're a public office holder? Uh, I think it's a, a it's my opinion, my two cents. It's going to be a career ender for some people who testify. Well, it's interesting. I get a chuckle every time the prime minister comes out and says, I welcome this inquiry. I mean, this is why we called it. Like, we well, didn't have a choice. <laughs> so you didn't do us any favor. You exactly. had no choice. <laughs> exactly. Right. Thank you, Tom. We'll talk again on Thursday. Thanks, Alex. That's Mr. Tom Korski, the uh, managing editor over at Blacklock's Reporting, subscription-based and well worth the investment.